the public get what they fucking deserve sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Yeah, if you have that as the tagline for the show, they'll probably get what they fucking deserve. You could say that yeah, in the movie Scramble podcast as well, couldn't you? That's true. <laughs> Good morning, Vietnam! I love the smell of my pub in the morning. You're going to need a bigger one. I feel the need. I need a Rose. We're going, we don't need Hello and welcome to the Movie Scramble podcast. It's been a wee while, we have all aged badly, but we're all here. <laughs> Tonight it's the Full House. With me are both Thomas and Mary, and I'll let them both introduce themselves and tell me how wonderful they've actually been over the last wee while. Mary, how are you doing? I'm very good. I have aged horribly. That's what a, that's what a Glasgow winter does to you. <laughs> <laughs> As my wife has pointed out to me, it's been raining here since June, uh, yes. and she's thoroughly sick of it, so yeah, I, I can fully sympathise with you. As I previous, previously mentioned, also on the pod is award-winning author, raconteur, and currently half-cut, <laughs> <laughs> half-cut man of the week. Thomas, how are you doing? Uh, good, it's just, it's just like Hemingway would have wanted, basically. <laughs> Uh, but no, I'm quite good, and you're right, and uh, your lovely wife is also right, it's just done nothing but rain forever, it feels like, and sometimes you go, you know, that, day was, that day was dry, and you're supposed to look at that day with fond memories, mm-hmm. and not yeah. complain about <laughs> it. it. was 2014, and that was the last one <laughs> you can remember. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just rubbish, the weather, uh, but the lights are getting lighter, sorry, the nights are getting lighter, so... Something to look forward to. Yep, it's not pitch absolutely. black at three o'clock anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice looking out from a wee window in my, my room and actually seeing daylight past sort of half past three, four o'clock in the afternoon. So yes, it's all good. Today we are going to have a a bit of a general discussion. We are in the middle of awards season at the moment. While we are actually recording, the BAFTAs are ongoing, so we will actually be able to talk sort of live about some of the, the runners and riders, the, the winners and losers, if you like, uh, in a couple of weeks' time. I think it's the 10th of March is the Oscars as well, which for reasons, well, it was t- due to the various strikes, they're actually held back for a couple of weeks just to give more time for stuff to come out and actually people to actually attend the Oscars as well. And obviously that's all been sorted now. So yeah, it's all full steam ahead for that. And we'll also have a, a quick recap of the Golden Globes, which happened at the start of January. They are usually the forerunner and a kind of an indicator of what's actually going to come later in terms of the big awards. And uh, rightly or wrong, Wrongly, they are regarded as being a bit of a shit show in terms of the, the awards that a lot of people do not take them seriously at all. And actually some outlets openly scorn them. I'm thinking in terms of Empire Magazine and Empire Podcast. They just have no truck with them at all. They just go, nah, it's, it's a lot of nonsense. And I can totally understand why. But we'll get into that in a couple of minutes. So, gentlemen and lady, what do you think of the the whole sort of 
pony show that is the awards season, do you think it does actually reward films that are the best of the year, or is it just one major backslapping exercise for the industry? Mary? Oh, I'm really torn because, do you know what, I'll sit and watch the BAFTAs, I'll sit and watch the Oscars, but at the same time, I think the more, I feel like in recent years in particular, the more you've seen sort of how nobody can joke at themselves. This is all very serious and highbrow and high art. And when they've had various comedians on over the years who've cracked jokes, they've obviously not gone down very well. Golden Globes this year, by all accounts, was, as you've said, a shit show in terms of <laughs> presentation and jokes and all the rest of it. And nothing just seems to land. And whilst I do love, you know, scrolling mindlessly through who wore what and who won, you know, which award. And you do have your own wee favourites and your own sort of bits that you've seen that you, that you obviously want to do well. But I think the whole thing of it, a lot of the awards really need to take the the brooms from out the arses because it's just, it's so, it's almost become a parody of itself and just how serious it's all become as opposed to what should be a celebration of craft. It doesn't necessarily feel like that anymore. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. There's a lot to be said for promoting films and promoting the art of filmmaking, but a lot of the time it just seems to be it's for the show, if you think about it, in terms of what this the stuff that you read about the Oscars and the Golden Globes especially is about how many people actually viewed it rather than there's more talk okay. about the lack of numbers of people viewing it than who actually won like best costume or whatever, you know, and it's just okay. just a lot. Which happens. is weird because cinema obviously well, the way the narrative sort of is being pitched is that cinema is very much losing the battle against streaming services or cable TV channels or whatever. And so this fascination on viewer numbers, as opposed to, as I say, celebrating the craft, and quite often you find that these smaller, in inverted commas, awards for technical effects or costume are sort of relegated to the end of the, the broadcast. So again, it's this kind of weird jarring situation where they're like, oh, we got, you know, X amount of million viewers. Does that mean that cinema's dead? And it's well, no, not necessarily, but if you're trying to actually encourage people to to go to the cinema and to to revel in these films, then perhaps there should be more effort put into the the, the award system itself. And mm -hmm. that's not even touching on representation or anything like that. That's simply just the way they're broadcast. Yeah, well obviously the Golden Globes is a prime example of problems with representation because for was it two years they didn't mm -hmm. get televised at all I think it didn't happen so and that was there was an awful lot to do with the fact that it's the Hollywood Foreign Press Association who mm -hmm. are just that a lot of them aren't actual writers in the first place it's, it's just it's a crazy crazy situation Thomas what are your thoughts we kind of touched on this earlier and a large part when it comes to taste comes down to opinion. You either enjoy something or you don't. Know that. That, that's very, very subjective. But as you also mentioned as well, John, in the media, there's a art of filmmaking and there's a craft and there's a technical excellence. I could watch the most horrifically made film ever and still enjoy it for what it is. It could be like poorly directed, that kind of thing, like really cheap. There's some kind of charm. Like, you always kind of B movies and stuff like that. There's a charm to them sometimes. And you could watch simply say Oppenheimer, which is an absolute masterpiece of craft. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, get that. I, I'm having a quick look at the Golden Globe Awards. Now, the Golden Globes are quite interesting in the way that they actually set out the awards. They've got two separate streams of categories. There's the drama category and there's the music or comedy. Now, a lot of this has been said about mm. what constitutes the a musical or comedy and they just kind of throw all sorts of stuff in there that just doesn't it's, it's the golden globes always seems to be about the the headlines about who actually wins but it, if you dig into it a wee bit more this year for instance they introduced a, a category called cinematic and box office achievement in order so that they could give like, the, the most popular film an award as well, or the biggest film of the year an award, uh, rather than, like obviously, the Oscars increased their best film to 10, so they could include some of these big hitters, acknowledge them without actually giving them an award, basically, so they can say Oscar-nominated on it and supposedly gets more people in to view it. But also with the, the Golden Globes, when you dig down into it, they obviously have best male, best female in drama, musical. But when it gets down to the supporting, it's just best supporting in any movie. So by, mm. the, by that point, even the Golden Globes aren't interested in the fact that they've split into <laughs> two. <laughs> it's just it's just a bit a bit weird. So the, cat, yeah. the categories are quite interesting in a, uh, not a good way when you look yeah. at that like that. And I don't know, it's like sometimes... It feels, I, I, I think the world ceremonies are picking the films that, again, they like. It's not to do with craft. Yeah. I mean, how, how long did we go before Mark Scorsese won Oscar? How many well, films do you bring out, you think? Good Fizzier, Best Director, blah, 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 blah. When they gave it for The Party, it almost felt like a, I suppose it's time to give them it. Yeah. And sometimes you get that feeling from a world ceremonies. It's like, yeah, it's his time. It's like, well, it was a film that was the whole DiCaprio narrative, was it not? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. He had so many better films and performances that were ignored. It is a bizarre setup, but actually, I'm going to see that thing you said about best box office achievement. I actually don't hate that because I feel like that is a chance for films that maybe wouldn't be, again, deemed worthy in inverted commas in other categories to get some sort of recognition on some level. So I'm not entirely opposed to it. But at the same time, it also feels like you may have the crumbs. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. quite feel like a proper award. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at it, Barbie won that. But the nominees mm -hmm. were Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, John Wick Chapter 4, Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, and the Super Mario Brothers movie. So, I mean, you're, you're talking about the Billion, billion Dollar Club right mm -hmm. there because they all made an awful lot of money and you've got to say do any of them actually apart from obviously Oppenheimer is there at the top of a lot of lists anyway but apart from that you know do they actually need the the, the bump that they're going to get from winning an award because they've already made over a billion pound a billion dollars I know, and that's the thing actually who's going to go and see like Mission Impossible just because it won a golden globe like you either go and see these films or you don't yeah, actually that's exactly. totally fair yeah, you've got to look at the Golden Globe winner for like uh, best best box of achievement. Yeah, yeah, cool. I know I want to see it. I was part of that. <laughs> I've gave you money. It's out of the now. It's money. And it's that kind of thing. It's, I just don't, as a, as a snobbery, and 
don't get me wrong, if I see somebody I like, a performance I like, a film I like, and it wins, I'm happy. When I see films omitted, it's more jarring for me because I think to myself, these are great performances, these are great films, these are technically crafted. These tick all the boxes that you want from a film because it doesn't maybe have the right message Hollywood would like to hear. Not audiences. I don't even know if it goes into messaging because the, the most obvious sort of snub or whatever you want to call it, and I know we talked about this before, is the whole Elizabeth Moss Invisible Man yeah. thing. I just think that was the wrong genre. Maybe if that had been called a psychological thriller as opposed to a horror. No, that's the problem. Like, 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 they just saw a genre film and that was it. Done. And it's a shame because it, I'm going to flip this actually. You think of the Razzies. The Razzies mm-hmm. do the exact same thing in reverse. The Razzies are both like, Suicide Squad for worst film of the year. And I said, well, Suicide Squad made a fortune at the box office. Where's your, where's your logic in that one? Because you just don't like it. Or it's not technically crappy. It's, it's a tough one. That was the uh, type thing. Because it is a snobbishness to it. And it's almost like, well, people are wrong. Audiences are wrong to like these films. It's like Adam Sandler, for example. I'm not a big fan of a lot of Adam Sandler films. But the man is box office. These films make a lot of money. He's never going to win Oscars for them, fair enough. I'm not saying he should win Oscars for them. But it's almost like you've got these people sitting around going, yeah, but we're right. It just so happened this year with films like Oppenheimer and Barbie made a fortune. But they think these films don't necessarily make that much money. Plus there's also that kind of con of, did the film come out at the right time of the year? Well, also just think about the whole Barbenheimer discourse, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a campaign like that where two films, essentially, their marketing was sort of working together to create this cinematic event where you were either going to the cinema in pink or wearing a, you know, a black jacket and ha ha. Like, I mean, it was excellent, right? And it was fun to people talking about cinema and planning their whole, oh, I'm going to see Barbie this night and I'm going with my girlfriend to go see that or, you know, whatever. But at the same time, there still was this huge drive behind it. And that definitely, I think, got some people who maybe would have only watched one film to go and watch the other because there'd been so much chat around it. So they kind of benefited off of each other. And I'm not saying that these films would not have done well had they mm-hmm. come out separately or at a different point in the year, because I'm quite sure they both would have had the successes they've had regardless. But it is interesting when you think about that, because that's just, in living memory, I can't remember a marketing campaign for to so diametrically opposed films like that ever. Yeah, I mean, it was genius in that kind of sense in terms of just how organic it was and how it was capitalised though and how it was kind of driven for social media. And it was effective and it was great. Because you've got these two films are so different in so many ways, but probably at the same time, if you dive into it, very similar in other ways in terms of their backgrounds, their production especially. But yeah, it was like that. That's a kind of anomaly though as well, isn't it? Because you had these two films in tandem and you watch both films you think yeah these films are oscar bait in many ways and the fact you have a term called oscar bait tells you what you need to know about mm. the academy and what kind of stuff awards are looking for oh absolutely but then interestingly sometimes it doesn't work so i think was it mission impossible moved pushed its date back by a week so it wouldn't clash with indiana jones yes and yeah i'm pretty sure mission impossible has trounced indiana jones at the box office so they're there is a weird thing there where, not that I'm saying you'd have had like an Indiana Impossible campaign or something like that going on, but maybe if people were going to see one, they might have gone to see the other. Maybe they could have sort of benefited from that, but, you know. That's a fair point. I don't think, I think that's something that's kind of missing from cinema a lot these days. 
people doing double headers at the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, got to see two films back to back, and I don't know how to explain what the header is, but <laughs> it's like you have. Um, but as you say, people say, let's watch the film in this case, let's move it back in case it clashes, people won't see this over that. And that's fine because sometimes people make a choice, but then you get something like Barbenheimer, and you think people aren't just making a choice, they're going to see both. Yeah. Maybe sometimes give the audiences more credit. Sometimes they'll always see one over the other. But when it's two massive films, I think they're going to see both. Like, if you release, let's like, say, Cobweb in the same week as Mission Impossible, yeah, maybe they go and see Mission Impossible over Cobweb, and Cobweb is forgotten about. But if you release Mission Impossible and Dan Jones in the same week, chances are people are going to see both. Yeah. I think so, but I think that was a studio decision from the peeps at Mission Impossible. And I suppose in many ways uh, it didn't do them any harm, but... I mean, if they were released that the same week as Indiana Jones, they would have noticed it in the second week more than anything, I think, because that was a film. I mean, again, my personal opinion, but a lot of people felt very similar. It was fine when you watched it. It was okay. And then the more you thought about it, the more you realised I'm struggling to remember things I enjoyed in that film. Yeah. You've got to remember that the film industry is risk-averse. Yes, they don't take chances if they don't have to. So by keeping films apart, they're banking on the fact that people will go and see both of them in opening weekend when all the publicity is aimed towards a movie. So if you have two on the same day, somebody's going to lose out. Now, I mean, in terms of the Barbenheimer thing, I would argue that Oppenheimer probably did maybe double the business that it would normally do if it was released maybe a week before or a week after the Barbie film because it was just caught up in that phenomena because Chris Nolan films, apart from the Batman ones, tend not to make like hundreds. Well, they do, they do obviously, they do very nicely for themselves. They, what do you say? They wash their face, but they tend <laughs> not to do like massive big business because they are regarded as sort of, Art house films, if you like, but obviously it's insane very well. when you think about it because yeah. I yeah. don't think of his films as art house. I think of them as blockbuster. Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's he's but managed to sort of, like he, he's he he's can like sort of straddle that. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Like cerebral. Cerebral, right though. It does it makes like cerebral blockbusters in a sense because um, they're massive, massive spectacles, but uh-huh. they, they they do require a bit of thought. Like, and they not tend, popcorn films. Yeah, and they tend not to be apart. Obviously, I'm excluding the Batman ones here, but they tend not to be franchise films. It's yeah. all original. Prop, I say original. Obviously, Oppenheimer is not an original. You know, there was an Oppenheimer before the film. You know, that's not what I'm saying. But in terms of the movies, it's you know one-offs. If you like, we're not going to have an Oppenheimer two, although I'm sure somebody has suggested it. <laughs> But do you know the thing is, though, I see what you were saying about them being like risk averse. Like, I was looking through like films that come out sort of the tail end of last year or sort of beginning of this year as well. And I honestly think we're going to get to a stage where, see, like a best original sc- screenplay that's going to be so up for debate because there's all these people's sequels, franchises, spin offs, musical versions, cartoon versions, or animated versions. It's insane. And actually, in a way, I suppose when you're looking at things like, I mean, Oppenheimer obviously is based on a person and a, and a book, and so is things like Zone of Interest and Poor Things. 
but actually to see like original sort of property or ideas, whatever you want to call it, how much yeah. of that is going to feature in future? Yeah, that's a problem, isn't it? Because even, even going back as far as um, Inception, when 2010, when that came out, that was quite a big deal because it was an original screenplay. There was a blockbuster studio film, was given a big budget and made a fortune. And people kind of thought, excellent, that's going to open the door for more. And Hollywood went, of course not, don't be stupid. Here's some more Marvel films. <laughs> and there's the whole thing about what is a, an adapted screenplay and what is an original screenplay. Yeah. In the BAFTAs, Barbie and Maestro are regarded as original screenplays. They're not adapted screenplays. Ooh, but in the I Os thought Barbie was adapted. Yeah. No, but in the Oscars, Barbie is adapted screenplay and Maestro is original screenplay. Now, obviously, Barbie, they're saying that Barbie is based on a plastic toy, but yeah, Maestro is obviously based on the life of Leonard Bernstein. So, you know, <laughs> really, you know, it's not really original, is it? Right. No, I, I absolutely do understand the distinction, but at the same time, yeah, it does feel like more people... I'm going to just float this out here as an idea. If more people are familiar with the concept of Barbie and her personality and her sort of attributes than they are with those of Leonard Bernstein. Yeah, yeah. True, but, I mean, is it down to the story level or is it down to the recognition of what, what it actually is, oh, you know? Because no no if you think about it, it's obviously, it was an original screenplay, wasn't it? Because they started it from scratch. Yeah. There, there isn't any previous Barbie stories like that. Maybe, yeah, they, they feature characters, but then again, so does the Bernstein story, you know, that features characters that have already been established. It's a it's a weird one. And mm -hmm. it's just an example of how like different organizations do things in a different way. Yeah, now, I, mean, I, I, I can't sorry, I can't even think of an example off my head now, but like a couple of times I've seen about the screenplay in the past and thought no so original screenplay and thought it's a Yeah. Yeah. You know, is Oppenheimer original or adapted? It must be adapted because it's based on it's a book. It's adapted, yeah, because yeah, it's, yeah. it, it's stated it was based on a book, so, yeah. Yeah. And it didn't win. As opposed to a after. person. <laughs> 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 it's just a book. It's just a book. <laughs> yep, yep. It's a shame we don't get like a, a post credit scene, Oppenheimer. What would they do, the big bomb? Aye. <laughs> See, that's Oppenheimer too. Mm -hmm. When they actually show the other two bombings, the real ones, no. just the test, yeah. This time with the sound. <laughs> <laughs> Open him up to the story of worlds is bad and he's yep. pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> right, so let's go on to the BAFTAs then. We shall have a wee chat about them. Now, the BAFTAs is the British Academy of Film and Television Awards, but they have the same sort of categories as other ceremonies. They've they actually had to introduce a British film category because a couple of years ago there was such an outcry that they were just exactly like the Oscars because they, they weren't actually promoting British film in any way. So they've had to uh, actually put this category in. Now, there is an argument for saying, well, why are not all categories done in that way? Why is it? Why is it an outstanding British film? Surely, surely it should just be British film and international film, if you like. Um, what do you think about that? Well, we had a kind of conversation about this in the group chat the other week when we were talking about whiteness in films. And 
it was, I think the argument for that was essentially you think of like most films just are just like best action film, or sorry, best drama, best musical, best comedy, whatever. They have like best Asian film, best foreign film, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Is that's not what they're, they're, they're again? I had to create a category to get more films in. It feels like, yeah, just a best, just a, you know, I don't think it's needed. I thought it was more to do with grass. Well, I'm saying grassroots. I can't think of a film that's won the best British film recently. It's been like a small indie or something like that. But I thought it was more to acknowledge the fact that BAFTA does do like outreach work and obviously encourages young British filmmakers into the industry by giving them access to you know roles or funding or whatever. So I kind of thought that's where that category start was supposed to sort of start out. It obviously just it doesn't necessarily represent that now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you if you look at the outstanding British film category, of which we can we'll talk about the, the winner in a moment, it's the likes of All of Us Strangers, How to Have Sex, Rylan, Saltburn. Now Wonka's in there as well. Poor Things is in there, and Napoleon is in there. You know, and of course the winner <laughs> was the Zone of Interest, which. Rather bizarre. Well, I don't know if it's bizarre or not, but it also won the film not in, not in an English language, BAFTA as well. So, see, that's where it starts to get a bit tricky, doesn't it? Because yes, they had that with the, the Oscars. We get best animated film, and animated films started getting nominated for best film. Yeah. So, what trumps what here? Yeah. Well, there's a, obviously in the the film not in an English language category. There's also Anatomy of a Fall, which ostensibly is French, but various there's languages. There's so much, there's so yeah, much and there's a lot of English. English. Yeah. I think that was the reason, because Anatomy of Fall, even though it's classed as a French film, is not the French entry into the Oscars. Rachel's no, but that's film. because the director, I think, pissed a lot of people off when she won her award at Cannes and gave a scathing speech about the French government and the pension crisis and the state of French filmmaking. So they just went, nah, fuck you, you're not getting your Oscar entry. It, not officially, obviously, but I think they were kind of yeah. pushing her for speaking yeah. her mind. Yeah, and that's not backfired in the French Academy at all, hasn't it? <laughs> They're too busy dealing with Jenner Depardieu claims at the moment. They've got no, they've got no other time on their hands. Yeah. <laughs> So, what do you in general? What did you think about the Baftas? Do you think it is uh, a decent awards ceremony, or do you? Th- I mean, if you think about it, if you remember back maybe about a decade ago, the Baftas changed the date of their award because it, for some time it was coming after the Oscars, and therefore it was regarded as being a sort of an afterthought. So, in order to try well, and promote it, a wee bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what what do you think of it in those sort of terms? Do you know it's a weird one because last year everyone went mental at the BAFTAs because it gave huge awards, like, like some of the, the big biggies as it were, to All Quiet in the Western Front, which really deviated from what the Golden Globes had done and obviously what the Oscars went on to do. Whereas this year it seems to be towing the line a bit more. Yeah. I feel like sometimes with the BAFTAs you do get a wee surprise win, a wee indie left field that you're never going to get at the Oscars. And because it does feel smaller, I feel like there's maybe the the hopes that some of the the more sort of the result shocks will, will come in. Whether or not, I mean, whether or not any of these awards ceremonies should still be on a calendar of, of, of things, I mean, I don't know. I think 
dwindling, or sorry, dwindling rather, um, audience numbers would suggest that nobody's as interested in, in awards anymore. I mean, I, I do still watch the BAFTAs, as I say, because I do sort of hold out for that sort of like left field win. It just happens to be coincidence that two quite big war films have won the last two years to keep me happy. Yeah, yeah. It's almost as if they're made for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like I say, we're about halfway through the ceremony just now, and there's been a number of awards actually granted. Documentaries, 20 Days in Mariupol. The animation category is a, a good point in case for what you were saying earlier, Thomas. The winner was The Boy in the Heron by Hayao Miyazaki. Now, mm-hmm. for some people, they're saying, yes, it's a very good film, but this may be his last film, so it's about time he actually receives a, an award, you know, a, a big award for it. Now, I know he's been awarded in the past, but maybe not get the recognition that he's rightly deserved for decades' worth of work. So it's kind of seen as being, you know, oh, there you go. There's your, there's your, it's rather than like he used to, oh, was it Lifetime Achievement Award, wasn't Lifetime it? Lifetime Achievement, they, yeah. They, yeah. They used to give to people who they actually never actually gave one to. They may have been nominated several times and they thought, oh, wait a minute, they're 85 and they're still alive. Let's give them <laughs> something, you know, let's get them up on stage, you know. It's, oh, that reminds uh, me, who's getting, the, who's getting the BAFTA Fellowship this year? They usually announce that pre-ceremony, don't they? I'm not sure, actually. We'll have a dick through. Just, when you, said, just when you said they're 85 and they're still here, still that's alive, usually yeah, what tends yeah. to happen with the, the Fellowship Awards. I can't see it on the list at the moment, but... No. It will be. No. But like you say, yeah, it's usually indicated uh, beforehand. Yeah. There's nothing here. But anyway, right, going through the various lists, I've done the documentary, Boy in the Heron. Best director, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Now, that's a difficult one to argue against, I no. would say. It's a strong category, obviously, with the holdovers, his own interest, Anatomy of Fall and Maestro and all of us strangers, but for in terms of a sort of a, a director's vision, you'd be kind of hard pushed to look past Oppenheimer, whether you like the film or not. It was one of these films that for a lot of people was one of the best of the year. So I personally, I think that's a, a reasonably good call. Would you think? Yeah? No? Yeah, I, I, no, I agree. It's, it's hard to kind of, it's hard to argue against. I mean, whether it's a personal preference or not, but that's such a powerful story as well. Yeah. And very much a filmmaking, it's just storytelling. And for the most part, it's a courtroom drama. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. absolutely gripping. It's not an action-packed film. It's not, it's, I mean, it jumps about nicely. It, it tells a story in a way that keeps you captivated. Yeah. And that's, like you said, the subject matter in terms of it's quite grim and stuff like that. And it's a long film. So is Anatomy of a Fall. It's essentially a courtroom drama and there's just it's two and a half hours of talking, right? Mm. It's, and it, mm-hmm. and actually the ending for that is way more ambiguous than obviously what uh, the ending of Oppenheimer is. But it's interesting how there is you're saying like there's no question of, you know, him winning that award and all that sort of thing. But it's interesting that a film like that obviously has been talked over at this level and then Anatomy before, which from what you've described, is a very, very similar premise, and yet I don't think it'll even touch the sides of what Oppenheimer is is going to achieve. Mm-hmm. 
What do you think Warner Brothers must be thinking right about now after Chris Nolan obviously was with them for years and years? They supported his projects and it came to... Uh, it was a sort of two-pronged thing. One of them was when they decided to release basically all of their 2021 films online on HBO rather than putting them in the cinema without telling any of the filmmakers. And I think the other one was when he went to them and says, look, I've got this idea for a film. It's it's going to be about a guy that won the war for the, the Allies and then got fucked over by the American government. And I'm not going to use any CGI in it. So it's going to cost a, a shitload of money. Where do you want me to sign? So, and they obviously went no and then he moved on. Yeah, uh, and he's obviously getting the recognition he deserves, and a lot of it is based on his reputation as a filmmaker, which was obviously built up over a couple of decades with Warner. So they must be kind of going, "What the actual fuck?" Uh, have they not just signed an exclusive deal with Tom Cruise, though? Did I not read that? Yes, they have. Yes, to produce... so maybe they're trying to recoup <laughs> whatever they fucked off and something else. Well, bear in mind, yeah. Warner Bros. also owns DC. So there are probably a lot of things to try to recoup. Yeah, and DC is not a shit show. Let's face it, it's <laughs> it's not going to put it this way. In the last couple of months, it's not got any clearer as to what's going on there. I mean, that could be a whole podcast discussion on its own. Mm-hmm. The, the sort of where that's actually gone, and it is not any clearer than it was when before James Gunn took over it because there's so much speculation about stuff and nothing's been made and you just get drips of information about it so it, it seems to be following the same sort of strategies before but is marvel and disney doing any better at the moment it kind of feels like they're holding their own touch paper and striking the matches with a lot of stuff at the moment yeah yeah well marvel are committed to an awful lot of stuff at the moment so they're committed to a certain number of movies they've, they've announced movies and TV shows which are already in production, so they have to kind of follow through with those. But then you've obviously got external factors that, you know, after Endgame, people got a wee bit fed up with just pretty much there was, there was a lot of similar stuff. They were introducing new characters and stories and stuff, but it wasn't as compelling. You couldn't see the through line. And then there's the whole Kang thing as well, which is just... You know, it's just unbelievable. Interestingly, and small spoiler for, can I do this for Best Supporting Actor? You can, yes. So Robert Downey Jr. obviously won Best Supporting Actor at the BAFTAs for mm-hmm. uh, Oppenheimer. And in his speech, he said that it was basically like, oh, I played a guy called Tony for 10 years and then Chris Nolan gave me the chance to regain some credibility. <laughs> that was his <laughs> speech. So it kind of feels like he's done a sort of like fuck you MCU, and I'm not actually yeah. sure why. Oh, I well, I think it, it, it. Oh, you go, Thomas. No, I was going to say, especially the fact that the MCU kind of helps rebuild your reputation seems a bit harsh. Yeah, yeah, I think I, you could probably take that too as one of just a sort of light-hearted yeah. way because, yeah. let's face it, you know, he, he did play that character for a long time. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 sorry, John, you're allowed to say something now. No, no, no. On you go. No, I was, I was, I was moving on to someone else. So just fire away. No, I just regarding the, the Marvel thing as well compared to DC, and it's like at least DC has still got the ABC separate superhero projects. The Batman, Joker coming out. They still keep things separate. It was a DCU that was a 
shit show. It's not like Peacemaker TV show as well, which is really good. Um, yeah. The last Suicide Squad film was still very good. I, it's like there's, they do have a lot of good stuff guys going on. Warner Bros. from a DC point of view. But James Gunn, they're looking to kind of reset things and do something again. And that's fine. They've got, they call me all the time as well. Mm-hmm. It's not a comic, because I mean, it's a film. You know, yeah. and the, the thing with Marvel as well is, though, they just keep doubling down on things that aren't working. And they're not listening to people that are saying, we don't like this. <laughs> they're telling them to listen to the people that say, we don't like this, so we're not going to watch it. They yeah. just keep doubling down on the and things that aren't working. Equally- that well, I'm saying Marvel is Disney, it's because it's all on Disney Plus. And mm-hmm. equally, I think there's debate as to whether or not Andor is going to get a second season, or there's been delays or something like that. Now, given that was the best, most well written, you know, lovely fleshed out characters, etc., why, why delay that and give us more of other stuff that's just not working? Because it's almost like they've created this homogenous formula for things where the bed out bounds to just go by that, and it makes it easier for me for production because. There's a clip you can find on YouTube, and it's like a supercut. Uh, all these writers and directors of Marvel for the last couple of years, and they're saying the same thing. We didn't read the comics. We're told not read the comics. We're told when anyone's been to it. It's like, you have all this source material that people are familiar with. Why you want to do your own thing? Like, for, for Love and Thunder, Ragnarok comes out. People really liked it. Taika Waititi is an interview saying things like, yeah, maybe I'll be the poor comic one day and understand the character. He was going out his way almost to not bring the... To, I mean, it was like, he didn't say things like, he didn't think the romance was important or something. There's a lot of things he was saying that fans are going, do you understand this character? Because you're making the fourth entry of a film here, part of a franchise. I don't think they do. I mean, I was even reading the other day that Sydney Sweeney said that she wanted her character to arrive a specific way in certain scenes within Madame Webb and her thing was she actually went to the director and the costume department special effects went, because this is how she does it in the, the comic books and mm-hmm. the graphic novels. This was all brand new information to everyone working on that film. How? How is that brand yeah. new information? Why haven't you read the source material? That would be like Nolan trying to make Oppenheimer without doing any fucking research as to who was there. Well, I mean, obviously the general story is there, but it's all the fine details that, well, fans particularly of these types of films, I think they're looking for. Exactly. They, they want the nuancey bits. Take something like Iron Man, for example. Iron Man, by all intents and purposes, was fairly low-key for when it came out. Um, the character, what it was known from as Marvel, no Marvel character, it wasn't necessarily a household name. Marvel didn't have the rights to guys like Spider Man, they couldn't in the X Men. They had to go out to the locker and say, Shit, Who can we make films about here? And they made guys like Iron Man and the Guardians of the Galaxy, for lack of a better term, like B, C, and even fringe characters, and made them household names. Obviously, Captain America was pretty well known. The Hulk, did they even go do much for him? You know, it was like they just—they did it because we're making good films. They were tying back to the comics. Like Civil War is based in the comic. They've done a lot of wee things here and there. Going, well, that character will become that character. They, they, they set things up. Now what they're saying is, okay, so you miss Iron Man and all that in Captain America. We're going to just recast them, but it's different characters as well. It's characters you know already, and they're going to play the new Captain America, the new Iron Man. The new Hawkeye, or the new Miss Marvel, for example, or even like Twilight Girl. All the characters from their new schedule coming up 
and all with the sidekicks or the proteges of characters who are very successful. And I just find that very strange. But Ironheart is essentially Iron Man. You could come and say, yeah, well, that all happens in the comics. But it's not the same medium. Yeah, and I feel like because, especially, I mean, it's maybe different with other characters, but I feel like because, you know, Robert Downey Jr. was Iron Man for, what, 10 years? Yeah. That, yeah, like, that's so well, like, that whole premise of him being that character is so well known now that I think that, I don't know, unless they're trying to just, like, almost, like, forget all that other stuff happened, I don't know. It's I mean, here's, what, here's what I've done now, right? I, it's like, I don't know if you've seen the Marvels. No. Uh, it's, it's terrible. It's awful. Um, spoiler alert. At the end of it, they basically try and recreate the Sam Jackson and Iron Man and put together a team type thing. Then you realise that team, it's Miss Marvel. Bear in mind, Captain Marvel already exists. It's a Hawkeye sidekick. Bear in mind, Hawkeye already exists. It's Ironheart, who... Scientist builds a suit, right? New Captain America films coming out, but it's the Falcon playing Captain America. They're just like, it's, it's like they're just going, to, I'm just going to take these characters. You're, they're, they're not retasting the characters. They're just bringing you watered down versions of characters you liked. Let's put Natalie Portman as a four. It's like no, that's not. That's let's keep those characters. Those characters. All I'm hearing is I'm not getting my Mahershala Ali blades. <laughs> There's rumours, and again, this is an example where Disney just do not listen to people if this is true, and I, I believe that is true as well. It's going to involve Blade Me's daughter. Who yeah. wants this? Exactly. <laughs> it's just. And it's not exactly, and to bring it back to what we're talking about, it's not like it's Oscar bait anyway, so why are no. you trying to shoehorn and all this other stuff? Yeah. I mean, but also Marvel had a great opportunity for getting characters at Ghost Rider back, characters at Blade, to create this darker spin-off horror feed. Yeah, they probably they looked won't. at the Universal Dark Universe and thought, ah, fuck, we better not try that. Well, they didn't even need to go that far. They looked at Scott Derrickson's um, Doctor Strange 2 and went, no, it's not Marvel enough for us. So you're out. Bring in Edgar. Uh, Sam Raimi, one of the most iconic horror directors ever in some homogenized Marvel film. With the I have seen it, but I've kind of forgotten. Wise, it. With a wisecracking uh, young female sidekick, which they just have in every single fi- Every Disney film, it's Lucasfilm, Disney, the Marvels, it follows the same formula. I know most films do, but they've got this really homogenized formula. You think, I'm watching. And yeah, Jones, it could have been The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just uh, beat by beat by beat. is all very similar. And audiences are going, we don't like that. And they're going, well, tough, because that's what we want to make. Which is weird, because they're saying, like, oh, we've brought in, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridges to, you know, a BAFTA darling herself, mm-hmm. to, you know, write the script for Indiana Jones, or we're bringing in, you know, as you said, like, Sam Raimi, whatever, to date. And yet, you don't get the flavour of any of that. Because it's so well, edited or watered down or whatever it is, like you don't get a script that feels like it was written by Phoebe Waller Bridges or whatever it is. It, I think you do. Bizarre. I think you actually do in the case of India Jones, but it doesn't work because she has a style that works for certain mm-hmm. things. It does not lend itself to India Jones' film, in my opinion. 
I really like her. I think she's very good. I think Fleabag is absolutely outstanding. You can tell the things she's written in this, and it's jarring because this isn't the Indiana Jones film. This feels like her film. Okay, that's fair. That is fair. You know, that's that's music. Like her movie, and that way, that's that's her fault. It's the way they've kind of framed it. And you're thinking to yourself, why do you keep doing this? Are you telling me that Mads Mikkelsen is making like wisecracks the camera and like winking as he's doing bad Nazi stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I would have preferred that. I was going to say because that's an Indiana Jones I would go and see. <laughs> I would have preferred that. But no, I mean, but then you get like even like uh, the Doctor Strange, and you get these wee hints of horror on it. But Marvel just kept going, no, nah, no, nah, we'll just pull back a wee bit, pull back a wee bit, focus on the humor, focus on the comedy. I'm like, it's not working. Like, there's some really scary, those scary, but there's some really gruesome horror elements of Doctor Strange. I thought, yeah, you feeling done that a bit more? Doesn't it be an R rating? Doesn't it be really graphic? Leave it that a bit more. You might actually make a good film rather than another entry of your content schedule. But it's funny because the more we talk about this, the more it does make the more it does make you understand why the likes of Oppenheimer and Barbie, even though Barbie is a you know an IP or whatever you want to call it, no wonder people absolutely crave stuff like this because it is original and it is different and it's I mean Barbie probably will be part of a franchise because they're they're already building a Mattel universe as we speak, but people are craving stuff like this much more than the, the, the people who are even who would call themselves Marvel fans or DC fans or whatever it is because at least it's something different exactly I mean I don't know about that you know I'm going to go see Madam Web you know I'm going to go and see it I'll go and see any Marvel film comes out of the cinema I know, but, uh, I'll go and see the Sony, Sony verse as well but the thing is but I am not going to watch all the shows on Disney Plus because I don't like them but I've seen I thought, <laughs> what it? I'm not going to enjoy them. So it's like, why the fuck are you going to sit in the cinema in a mood when you know that you're not going to like this? You just don't know them very well, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, for example, I, mean, I watched Wonder Woman before it was great up until the end, and it just became tacked on space, even the sky type thing, CGI fight. You know, I felt was kind of gone, but that was a really, really interesting idea they had. Really clever, really original. Then it went, but we need to marvelize it. Hmm. Kind of went a Soldier slide off really good. It was cinematic as well, man. That's good. People watch this in the cinema. And then as it went on, you're like, okay, you're kind of losing me here. And then at the end, I'm like, uh, nigga, just try to lecture me. Don't lecture me. I was enjoying this. This was fun. I get, I'm quite happy to have politics and shows. I'm quite happy to have, to make me think. Don't tell me how to think. Let me, let, let me appreciate the message. I don't need to be told the message. Show me it. Don't tell me it. It's a big problem with film in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that, is that, is that bit in the the trailer, Cindy and Joe's, we've all seen when you get, um, it's like, I, you stole it from me and I stole it from you. And a few other bridges goes, and I stole it, that's capitalism. It's like, fuck off, man. This film's set in the 50s. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then you've got the new Blue Beetle film. Where like, oh, this guy's like Batman. He goes, Batman's a fascist. It has nothing to the film that pissed people off. Why is Batman a fascist? <laughs> I feel like that has to be the title of this episode. Never mind, like, award season or anything like that. Award season recap scored out. Why is Batman a fascist? <laughs> <laughs> so there's also rumors as well, as you can believe it, apparently we're going to have a spin off 
Indiana Jones. People were like, "Did you just supposed to take over as a new Indiana Jones?" And I'm like, "She's great. She's very talented. Why are you trying to ruin her by doing something like this? It's not suited. Not everybody's suited to the same thing." It's not even that. The stuff that's coming out, like, see, like, the Mean Girls musical and stuff like that, and they were marketing it as, this isn't your mom's Mean Girls and stuff like that, which one I take great offence at, because I, I definitely was old enough to see Mean Girls the first time around, so the fact they're referring to my generation as mums is really upsetting. <laughs> but even that is, like, it's literally just Mean Girls, but a musical. It's not even, like, a a spin-off or the next generation or anything like that. It's literally just the same film. And that, like, to bring back to what I said like, like earlier, like, it makes the whole original screenplay thing feel less and less certain as a category moving forward just because there's so much stuff. And I use the word stuff purposely because, the, you know, all these studios start referring to things as content, you know, but there's so much stuff out there. And so, so very little of it appeals to me. And even, like, you know, looking ahead to see what's coming out this year and what do I want to invest my time in going to see and all that sort of thing. There's so very little that actually makes me go, oh, I definitely want to go and see that, mm-hmm. which is well, really disappointing. I know it's a shame because, I mean, people tell me to say we've always had films like that, we've always had pop, popcorn, munching things. That's fine. Which, by the way, I don't object to. I don't no, like, because the I've got no issues with that yet. They're very entertaining. They were just getting bland films to fill a slate. And that's what I feel. I mean, take the Marvel, we'll go back to the Marvels and Disney and that's kind of thing. Because let's be honest, I'm not punching down here. <laughs> you know, Disney happened to be quite a decent sized company. But the Marvels was, I mean, again, look at MCU in general. Very well told story. After the end game, you're thinking, how are they going to do this? They bring out Black Widow, which should have been out years prior. It's also a prequel. And you're thinking, that's a very good film, but I'm sort of confused in terms of in terms of my emotional involvement because this character definitely fucking died. Um, but hey, it was a good film. It was fun. Don't overthink it. Just just watch it as a standalone film, which is difficult when Marvel give you homework for films. <laughs> Shang Chi, Shang Chi was great. That's a really good film. And you think to yourself, maybe I've got a gone somewhere. Eternals was. I didn't think Eternals was that bad. Very flawed. I don't think it was as bad as people made out to be. And then it was like they've been back to like foreign things like that. And you're like, right, what are you doing? And then the this content out in Disney Plus, and it's just like the Marvels was a sequel to like five different things. Wonder Vision, Secret Invasion, Miss Marvel, uh, Captain Marvel, and Endgame. And you watch it thinking, okay, Danny, I've seen all them. Oh, no, because they've not really mentioned anything. So, in a way, that's quite good. But also, for people that did watch it, they went, this makes no sense. Because the tones are starting to jar. I will say, we watched Secret Invasion, and Nick Fury was portrayed this way. Secret Invasion? Sorry, what the fuck is that? Did you watch it, John? I watched a couple of episodes. I didn't watch very much, because... I got a bit bored with it, unfortunately. Yeah. But I, I, I was really looking forward to it. It's yeah. about well, basically a secret invasion of Earth, like uh, taking over Earth, and obviously Sam Jackson is involved in trying to sort of sort it out. So premise of it was pretty good. They, I think the comic book was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've read the comic book, but yeah, the shapeshifters. So you never really know yeah. who's who, and that's supposed to be. But as John said, I never watched it. I just, I just gave up on all the content. 
But apparently, Daniel Jackson in this, like Fury, is this like broken and bitter, kind of like battle-worn, done with everything type guy. And the Marvels, he's wisecracked and he's funny. It's just like, people people that watch the Secret Invasion went, is this a follow one? Because yeah, it's insane fucking character. Jesus Christ. Dee Larson she could not be asked in the film. <laughs> oh, and um, I thought you were going to say in the press too, not in the fucking film. <laughs> no, there there was no press tour because it was during mm-hmm. the the actors oh, and course. writers. Right, okay. And so that's the, the thing. So the so the tundrum, So does the tundrum say yeah the film didn't do well because there's no press tour? I'm like, it's a fucking MCU film. It was also a sequel to five different things, and you think. The lack of marketing for it was why people didn't see it. It's mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I don't. I as I say, I'm 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 totally marvelled out in that sense, and I am really craving stuff that's that's different. And as you say, that I haven't had to do homework to to actually watch and enjoy, or just even take anything from. And that's why, like things like you know, even the holdovers, like I was absolutely desperate to see that because it just seemed like the perfect type of film. Uh, for me and even stuff that's coming out and like obviously like your maestro and your salt burn are obviously netflix films not cinema films no issues with that either but i'm just looking for something that's not attached to 15 other salt burn wasn't a cinema film aye so sorry i know maestro was as well but what i mean is like they've maybe only done like 10 days or whatever in the cinema and then they're on this their people are watching it on netflix more than they're yeah the trip to cinema I don't mean. is what i mean yeah i mean the- I get a film like Oppenheimer, for example, go back to that. That's a cinema film. As much as we said, not a lot really happens action wise and things like that. It's a courtroom drama, blah, blah, blah. But there's some scenes you watch in that film, you go, I'm glad I've seen this in the cinema. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't regret really me being, I wish I saw it in the IMAX, I wish I saw it in this. It's an incredible. Your cinemas and your awards, so look at you know, award season and the, the films that are listed for us again and again. No, obviously I said that Saltburn and Maestro work and people are watching them on Netflix more than mm-hmm. cinema. But if you look at the award season, it's, it is the films that have filled the cinemas this year. So your Barbies, your Oppenheimers, that sort of thing. Because this is what cinemas are relying on. And I actually think that cinemas now less and less are relying on, you know, Indiana Jones didn't do well bizarrely for all the money that it took mission impossible dead reckoning did not take as much as they expected and obviously your marvel films are i mean who knows what the fuck's happening with them and your madam web is open to disaster and all this sort of thing so your big original pieces if we're talking about saving cinema you know post covid and all the rest of it it's your big originals that are doing that not your spin-offs and franchises which is an interesting sort of Turn of events. I'm not saying that you know next week's any world are only going to be showing like Hungarian indie films from you know whatever. They're absolutely not going to do that. But it's just interesting that these are the types of films that are actually that's what's bringing the money in. That's the thing, though. But also they're not learning because that's that would require effort. They're lazy studios. Mm-hmm. They've all bring out sequels. They've all bring out spin-offs. They want shared universes, and it's because it's easier for them to make these films. Yeah, of course. Well, that's why, as I say, that although that Barbie obviously is doing well already, there's talk of a, a Mattel Aye. universe what the that's hell? like, ah, let's not do that. We already had Battleship, the film, remember that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Rihanna was in that. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But it's that kind of thing. It's like, 
There's been talks of Monopoly film for a while as well, so the board game universe still to come. How the fuck mm-hmm. do you make a Monopoly film? I don't know, the Riddle Scott was attached. I was, I was oh my right, god! Yeah, yeah. Get Ken Loach to do it, and it can be a real study on capitalism, rich people chucking people <laughs> out of their houses. That's what the Monopoly film should be. When Barbie, Barbie was a phenomenon of cinema, critically acclaimed, massive. Uh, Barbie's a perfect film for a studio because it makes a fortune. And we said before, the studio were having a cake and eating it because I said, oh no, but look, there's always spinners and messages in it and it's appealing to this and that and blah blah but at the same time we are cash down like fuck it's an ip it's a very interesting movie in that sense but then they're like yeah we're going to bring out uh, poly pocket fucking at the end of the credits you know what i mean like um see about fucking infinity gone or something i don't know but you don't need to have a shared universe for everything but obviously that's what it's easier to do because at the end of the day, much as we like films, we'd like to see even some more Hungarian films in the world. <laughs> the public get what they fucking deserve sometimes. Yeah, always. <laughs> oh, I love that. As a tag- for once, it's not. Yeah, if you have that as the tagline for the show, the public get what they fucking deserve. Mm-hmm. You could say that about the movie Scramble podcast as well, couldn't you? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> there's that period of like um every week in the cinema there was a, a film and the marketing was a white background and big big red lettering and right off the or bat you went or floating heads posters yes and you knew like, off your, the like bat, your black adam one behind you is a floating exactly. head poster yeah i mean that's an interesting case study in itself he did podcasting alone on that film in the rocks eagle <laughs> But then you can talk about the IP type thing and that as well. They're going back to old horror films now. And they're like, we're bringing a new Halloween trilogy. We're bringing a new Exorcist trilogy. And my first thought is, do these films have a new trilogy? Exorcist trilogy? Yeah, that, that yes. Exorcist film last year, Believer. That's part one or three. Yeah. Allegedly. They right. may not, they have, may not oh, go to three. And you have two Frankenstein films coming out because Maggie Gyllenhaal's doing one, don't know who's doing the other. And then obviously we're going even further back and there's obviously the Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. But I am actually looking forward to the Nosferatu remake just to see what he does with it. But... Yeah, sometimes it'll work, but it's, my thing is, but it can't be really like... Um, the Halloween didn't even bother too much until I bothered it after, but with Exorcist, it's like, God, they just make a new film. It's like, you know, got a new trilogy planned. Is that like a film that lends itself to a trilogy, though? And then you're watching this film going, the stakes for me are different because I know there's going to be another two that might not get made, as John was kind of alluding to there. Because let's be honest, I don't know if you've seen uh, Nexus Believer, it wasn't very good. No, I didn't even know it was a thing, to be quite honest with you. So, no, no. Okay. It, it's, it's a funny thing, is the Exorcist? There's a new woman film, film as well. Sequels. A new woman film tonight, that's right. For fuck's sake. Really? Who's playing the creepy kid? Oh, it's, uh, it's a prequel, I think. <sighs> Yeah, as it's a sequel. Unreal. Yeah, it's just... The, thing, it's, 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 the, first, the first Omen film had three sequels. There was four of them. In the, mm-hmm. the Exorcist had two sequels, but they weren't planned sequels. And sometimes that can hurt the first film. Because you watch the first Exorcist Aye, film, if you're going into it, going, yeah. I'm making three films, not one. Yeah. It doesn't lend yeah. itself to any more sequels. It's just Exorcist, a standalone film, and then somebody said, let's make the heretic. 
Then suddenly, fuck, I took a third one. Then it just stopped because he's on the third. It's a franchise movie, you know. Whereas this, they're going, okay, let's make it a franchise now. And it's like, uh, let's just concentrate on film at a time here. See if that's good. Then build on it. Which I think it fairly went and did with Halloween. Because the first Halloween, which David Gordon Green was very good. And that liked Halloween Kills. Fuck knows what the last one was meant to be. Yeah. It wasn't very good, unfortunately. It wasn't. I... But bizarrely, for a film that was a planned trilogy, didn't feel like one. No. No. It kind of felt kind of bolted together. The last one, it didn't, it didn't really do a lot, to be honest. I expected a, I expected a total gore fest for the last one. I thought it'd just be like, you know, wall to wall killings and all that. Which I just expected just Michael happen. Myers to be in the film for you, that more. <laughs> yeah, and that would have been. Yeah, you, you would have seen it made and all. No, I, I, the only the only new Halloween film I saw was the one that came out. Oh, fuck, I don't even know what it was called. But Julie Curtis was in it. Yeah, it's probably, just, it's probably just Halloween. It was, it was shite. Sorry. No, I don't. Like it. <laughs> don't need to apologise to us. We didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, but I know that, like, obviously, in particular, this is precious to you. It just didn't do anything for me as a film. Like, it was just shit. Didn't have the message she was looking for. Didn't, didn't say anything. No, I didn't. Wasn't Hungarian enough. Michael, <laughs> yeah, I didn't see Michael Myers look repentant at once. So I was really upset that he seemed to be reveling in. Okay, you, you laugh at that, right? But that was actually some of the criticism for Halloween Kills. No, that's not real. That that's not real criticism. He it's killed a gay couple. He killed a gay couple, and there was complaints mm-hmm. that he wasn't sorry that he's killed them, the or that he killed a gay couple. Yeah, the latter. Right. Is and that then the one star review. <laughs> to be fair, I think it was one of the things that one person tweeted it that became a story. But Sorry. but no, I mean the last one is fucking I'm gonna have to go tangent here, but the point being it's like sometimes just <laughs> on its own. Don't look towards the first film, it looked like my evil films at the MCU, for example. When Iron Man came out, they weren't like, right, how's he gonna fight Thanos in 20, ten years' time? They just made a good film. Oh no, see I kinda feel like I thought they alluded to the fact that they had a ten year plan. I actually thought it was the opposite. No, because it was they did at the end of it, they kinda of hinted they're gonna make an Avengers film. But all it took was one bad film for that to get jettisoned. I mean one bad like, box office, like if four came out and it just tanked might be eh, actually. Hmm. Yeah, no fair. I hope Chris Nolan has listened to this podcast the first way he does sit down and write Oppenheimer too, that he doesn't make the mistakes that we're pointing out here. Well, that's the thing. I've been trying to make a joke for the last half hour about um, who would be in the end credit sequence for Oppenheimer. But I kind of think a scientist <laughs> from that era that would pop up. Is that TikTok or something that time when it's uh, all the guys at World, uh, World War One, and it's like um, I think I'm going to introduce you to a guy. We call him the Painter. Yeah. <laughs> in fairness, that's exactly what would you call it, soon? Oh fuck! Oh Kingsman. Yes. Like, at the end of the last Kingsman, it was like, oh, basically trying to insinuate he's just this misunderstood guy. So, yes, the Kingsman, the new film that is, 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 a, is a Hitler film. So Yeah, oh, yeah. We know how that ends. <laughs> the Hitler film. The Hitler film. Happy Doobie. That's true. Glorious Bastards showed us that mm-hmm. we can play around with yeah, history, but yeah, it'll still yeah. work. That's true. True. As long as Daniel Brule's in it. 
Okay, so having started talking about <laughs> award ceremonies, veering off wildly in a tangent and then veering off wildly in another tangent and almost circling back to Iron Man, we've gone off again, so aye, fair enough. Who really gives a damn? Uh, our <laughs> listener's probably asleep by now, aren't you, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andy, but listening as well. Oh, and Andy, yeah, sorry. <laughs> we should really say listeners now. So, the final awards have been given out in the BAFTAs, and basically Oppenheimer's the big winner of the night. They, they won all the major, uh, the big awards, and that uh, supporting actor, film director, leading actor, obviously didn't have a leading female actor, I think. Emily Blunt was up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, these things, unfortunately, the way these things go. The Holdovers did win a couple of awards. It won the casting award and it also won the supporting actress. Yeah, which, award, I'm, which, which I'm glad for. Which, which is a pretty decent shout. Uh, interestingly, we have uh, Poor Things getting a couple of technical awards. They got Best Visual Visual. Arts, I think it is. Let me see. Yeah, it got hair and makeup and it got visual effects. Now, it was a stunning film to look at, so I'm not really surprised at that in any way. Yeah. And Emma Stone won as well in the actress Ooh. category, which is it's quite a strong category, that one. Obviously, there was her, there was Sandra Huller, Carrie Mulligan, Margot Robbie. So it was a, a decent category. Also, there was Vivian. Opara for Rylane. I don't know if you guys have seen Rylane, the sort of wee romantic comedy, a British film. It was a really excellent wee movie. It's only like about 85, 90 minutes long, but it was totally spot on. It gained quite a lot of attention when it came out, but again, it was very early last year, so it may have uh, oh. sort of dropped off the radar of a few people. But yeah, so no real surprises, and I think we'll see a similar thing with the, the Oscars in a couple of weeks' time as well. It's interesting that Maestro didn't win anything, Killers of Flower Moon didn't win anything. That's surprising. Don't get me wrong, I knew we were going to talk about this film at some point, I didn't think it was that great, personally. Mm-hmm. But it's the kind of film that's total award bait. Oh yeah. And it is really well made. It's, it's crafted really well. I just didn't find it that enjoyable when I watched it. I just I put the first like hour and a half flew in and then it just drags on me. Some great performances, some overrated performances. That didn't decapitals that bit to be fair. But that's a I'm surprised that I didn't get more more love. Yeah, even in some of the more sort of technical categories as they call it. But now there's a whole different BAFTA ceremony for craft awards, isn't there? Because these are just yeah. sort of the, the sort of headline awards, so it could well be that some of them pick up awards in these ones as well. But yeah, so n- no real surprises and no real controversies either. I would say. Where was Lily Gladstone? Was she? She in? wasn't. She wasn't nominated. She wasn't even nominated. Really? Okay. Yeah. She, that's the thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. As much as I've kind of like mentioned things about Oscar bait and stuff like that, she was. Uh, she was brilliant in that film. I didn't mm-hmm. think the film was that great. I thought she was. She was great in it. Yeah. Um, but Jesse Plem was really good in it as well. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised because she, she seems like a shoe in for Oscar. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, she's a hot yeah. favourite for the, the Oscar. One thing I will say is that the E Rising Star Award, which is voted for by the public, was won by Mia McKenna Bruce. And 
if you have Mubi, How to Have Sex is on that, and she is the star of that, and it is absolutely brilliant. Like, I went into it not really knowing what to expect from it, and it felt kind of sort of improvised in places and sort of slightly cringy in others, but it's kind of meant to be. But I absolutely loved that film, and I thought it was a really... Like if that's her debut, I mean, extremely impressive. It's it poses a lot more questions around the whole kind of you know consent situation, all that sort of thing. And I thought she was excellent in it. And I totally thought that the woman from the Bear, the Io Idemiri, mm-hmm. was going to win the Rising Star Award. So actually, the fact that she's won it, given that she's obviously smaller profile, definitely, I can't imagine many people mm-hmm. have actually seen that film. I think that's quite quite interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a good show. Yeah, it was a very, very good performance. So, yeah, interesting. So, there we have it. We coverage of the, the BAFTAs and stuff like that. Now, it's still reasonably early in the year, and this is the, the first podcast that we've done this year. First of many, because we're going to get back on a regular schedule. So, thought we'd spend a few minutes talking about what we are individually looking forward to over the next... 10 months or so towards between now and the end of the year just a a quick sort of run through of what people are actually looking to so start with you thomas what's your sort of interesting highlights for the year i've never i've never looked to see what's coming out to be honest with you for me when it comes to as much as i've been kind of bad mouth and marvel and stuff like that it's still the, the films i look forward to i look forward to blockbusters yeah, I look forward to a film. I think to myself, I want to see this in the cinema. Not, I can wait to comes on streaming because yeah. it won't make much difference if I sit and watch a line on the couch compared to watching it in cinema. I can't really think of a lot that's coming out that I'm really excited for. I just can take it week by week. I'll check mm-hmm. the cinema lessons and go watch out. You know, it's not, it's not a great answer, but I just really can't think of anything off the top of my head that I'm like, I'm really looking forward to seeing that this year. All right, cool. No problem. Mary. Hey, Have you got a spread? You've got a spreadsheet, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, spreadsheet. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, fine, Melody. There's some good stuff. I just thought I'd stick to sort of the kind of biggies. Uh, so the Nosferatu remake, I am, I am desperate for. It's one of my favourite films of all time ever, and I'm desperate to see what what he does with this. Inside Out two. Again, I know mm-hmm. it's a sequel, and I'm horrible, but I did actually really love the first one, and they're introducing anxiety as a character, which again, it's like they're making films just for me. <laughs> <laughs> And again, the other three that I'm thinking of, and this is horrible, they're all spin-offs and sequels and stuff like that that I'm saying, but I saw the Deadpool and Wolverine trailer from the Super Bowl, and that did make me laugh a little bit, so there's that. There's Furiosa, the Mad yeah. Max spin-off, which I think looks quite good. And then also, when I was looking this morning, they're making a Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, which, because yes. I love those films so much, has kind of sort of drawn me into that. But I'm going to make a point this year of trying to go and see more stuff like the holdovers, like your occupied city, all that sort of thing. Because actually that is the, as much as I've listed literally, you know, five or six films that are, you know, content that already exists. I'm going to try and make a point this year of going to see more sort of indie smaller films because I feel like that's, what I need in my life as much as yeah. the big blockbusters. Yeah. I, can, I, sp- I suppose just like thinking as you said that then maybe um Joker 2 coming out is obviously sequels and very intrigued for that. I love the first one. I'm very curious to how to do this one. Um Alex Garland's got a new film out as well, talking about smaller films. Oh. Um Civil War. But 
I don't know if I'm going to bigger Oh, yeah, you, you mentioned it, sorry, Deadpool 3. Um, but yeah, I kind of have to really kind of think about that because I'm looking forward to Deadpool 3. I saw a trailer last week. It looks fun. But it's also, it seems so far away as well. A lot of the films I'm looking forward to are still quite a good bit. And it'll be that'll be your summer. Mm-hmm. That'll be your summer blockbusters, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. For myself, June part two, which is out in a couple oh, of weeks. Oh my really god, how can we miss that? that? It's literally in two weeks time. <laughs> Are you well, gonna you know. get the, the butthole cinema, the popcorn bucket that looks like a butthole? <laughs> <laughs> That, I didn't even know that was a thing, but yeah, that should be quite interesting. I'm going to send you. I'm going to. I was going to say I'm going to send you pictures just to clear no, no, the, you... the popcorn bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also looking forward to Monkey Man, the Dev Patel film. He's starring in it and directing it. It's coming out, I think, at the end of March. It's about a guy who uh, unleashes sort of campaign of violence against folk who murdered his mother it looks excellent it looks like a really really good sort of action movie and interesting to see what he's going to do in terms of uh, yeah. direction you know so should be quite good hopefully also looking forward to ballerina the spin-off of uh, yeah, the john wick franchise as well which should be quite good i'm looking for uh, something i don't know if it'll actually be Good or not is Red One, the Dwayne Johnson and Chris Evans film, which has been delayed and delayed. It was meant to come out 2023 originally, and it's been pushed back, and it seems to have been fraught with difficulties. But, you know, it could be quite interesting. There's a new Paddington film, obviously, as well, Paddington and Prue, Aww. which comes out in November. A new Smile film as well, Smile 2. I thought Smile was a pretty decent Yes, horror good. film, so yeah, it wasn't. Sorry, I'm sorry, John, because uh, clearly uh, I'm looking at films that are coming out this year now. Yeah, because uh, I just didn't realize it. I think there's a Nicolas Cage one coming out. I can't remember the name of it. There's probably about four or five Nicolas Cage films coming out. <laughs> you have to be more specific. It's like a serial killer horror film. It's, close, it's really intriguing. Oh, long legs. Yes. That looks amazing. So it's Oz Perkins that's directed it, and I absolutely love that February or Black Coat's Daughter, whatever you're calling it, depending on where you live in the world. I thought that was excellent. And yeah, so they've released posters for that long legs. That's also on my watch list for this year. It looks really, really good. Nice. Uh, last one for me is the new Godzilla film because I've seen them all, and you know, monsters, <laughs> monsters fighting monsters. You know, you can't really go wrong. So uh, I'm quite happy to watch another one. <laughs> that's Ooh. actually fairly decent. Also, the Quiet Place prequel, which I'm a bit kind of... Of course, yeah, day one. No, sure about it, personally, because I love the other two, but the people things kind of fill my wee bit with it. But, yeah, I love the other two, so I'm definitely going to see yeah. that. Um, yeah, I think... Probably as well, actually. I really loved uh, Minus One. That was great. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it, but I've heard, awesome. obviously, so, great things from... In this one, you know what I mean? It's like, it annoyed me because the last one was out during the pandemic, and I couldn't go and see it in the cinema. That's mm-hmm. the thing you want to go and see in the cinema. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they, these are big screen experiences, these type of films, yeah. so, you know. Back to us in America with Furiosa. Mm-hmm. That's a film I'm just not that excited about. And I think a lot of I've part seen of it because... Stills and I thought it looked... I mean, it's kind of my interest. 
No, I think for me it's because it's almost ten years since Mad Max Fury Road came out, and it's it not. Yeah, it's 2015. Yeah. Uh-huh. Fuck. So it's been. Sorry, just time is just as a concept. <laughs> it's just not applying anymore, is it? <laughs> almost ten years since the last one, and they've changed the actress, and it's kind of like. It just feels like it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's good. I'm, I'll go and see it. It just feels yeah. very black widow to me in the sense of like, yeah, you missed the boat with us a wee bit. Ah, right, okay, no, fair enough. I just thought visually it looked quite exciting. I oh, loved oh, well, the Mad Max film, so I thought visually it looked quite exciting. But um, it's, yeah, there's, I mean, there's quite a lot out this year, I think, in terms of obviously the kind of, as we've just listed some of the sort of the bigger franchises and stuff like that. I didn't realise it'd been 10 years since Mad Max, so in my head that was like five minutes ago, so. Cool. So at least we have a few things to look forward to this year, which is always very nice. It could have been a lot worse, let's face it. There's an awful lot of sequels and franchise movies, like you said, Thomas, but that's what kind of makes for a cinema experience a lot of the time, you know, going to see these films <clears throat> actually on a big screen with another three people with the Forge and Parkhead. So uh, it's, it's all good, you know. So that's the show. Thank you very much for uh, listening into us. If you want to get in touch with us, we are available at the usual outlets at facebook sorry sorry blah, didn't mean to say that I said, we uh, are at, facebook yeah we are facebook you know we are movie scramble we just search for movie scramble on all of your social media channels of choice and you'll be able to find us sit drop us a message let us know what you think of the podcast let us know what you think of the website as well uh, if you've got any ideas that you'd think that would be a good fit for us please keep them to yourself yeah yeah <laughs> Don't need backseat drivers. This is not a democracy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, please get in touch with us and let us know what you think. Uh, if you'd like to rate and review us on uh, your podcast app of choice as well, it helps get uh, our message out there as well, which is always a nice thing. Uh, and it's nice to hear nice things, let's face it. And if you could, and like Thomas says, if you've got bad things to say about us, then just get in touch with Thomas directly. You don't need to speak to either <laughs> myself and Mary because we're like small wilting flowers. We can't take that sort of criticism. So uh, I've got a kink, so... Yeah. <laughs> so, from myself, cheerio, and we will see you really, really soon. Bye. Bye.